Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Medicus. We have an amazing episode today. We're continuing our fourth year series with otolaryngology and head and neck surgery. A fancy, fancy, fancy way of saying ENT. Um, and uh, we can't be more thrilled to have two amazing guests. We have Colton and Emily. Really close with both of these guests. Colton was uh, my, my roommate for the first uh, year of medical school, went to undergrad with Colt. Um, and then Emily, I don't know if you remember this, but the very first like day of orientation or of medical school, it was your family and my family. And it was like trivia against all the other families that were like, went to this orientation. <laughs> It's hysterical that you think I forgot. No, I very much remember. <laughs> um, and Emily's family like crushed it. She, they were just carrying the team. And then we're just sitting there just like, we've never played trivia before. We are totally out of our league with all these smart people. <laughs> got too into it. They got too into it. Uh, anyway, um, so it's uh, really great to have you guys, and we're really excited to talk more about otolaryngology, head and neck surgery. If it's okay, we'll probably just... Uh, say it's ENT for short. If if you're cool with that, I don't want to dismiss your specialty at all, but um, (laughs) all right. So let's just start out. uh, Colton, if you want to start, and then Emily, you can follow up after, but just uh, tell us kind of your journey in medicine thus far, uh, kind of a little bit about your background and everything. Sure. Yeah. So I I grew up in Colorado um, originally, uh, and then I did my undergrad, uh, like Alex said, at Marquette University uh, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I was pretty involved in some research at Marquette uh, and also was a TA for the anatomy courses there. Um, so that's kind of how I got interested in medicine and uh, surgery in particular through kind of working in the anatomy labs. I got, went to, uh, got here at uh, Loyola for med school, and then I also matched at Loyola for residency. So I'll be sticking around. Um, for me, I uh, went to Northwestern for undergrad. I grew up in the Oak Park area, so um, not far from Loyola. It's a western suburb of Chicago. Um, and then I, I did undergrad at Northwestern. Um, I got exposure through kind of my undergraduate major was kind of what the major that you would take if you were to go into speech path or an audiology. So I actually got very early exposure to um, some ENT stuff. And then what really sealed the deal for me was my global health experience in Chile. Um, I had a, a great experience there and I was able to get a lot of access to like surgeries that otherwise you wouldn't get in the United States. And so I, I got to be in the OR and I got a lot of exposure and it kind of like really sealed the deal for me of, you know, uh, medicine is something I really wanted to do. And then I went to Loyola for uh, medical school and um, yeah. Awesome. So we're going to start talking a little bit about the field specifically. And if you could take us through your decision to go into ENT as a specialty and what drew you to pursue it, that would be awesome. I could, I could start since you, you went last time, Colton. Um, yeah. So for ENT, for me, um, for Northwestern, they actually didn't have any anatomy and physiology courses uh, that I could take, and I wanted more um, exposure to medicine before I kind of made that plunge. I was not a fan of my pre-med courses at Northwestern, and so the way I could take anatomy and physiology classes was actually through the major was called human communication sciences and disorders. And I was able to take some anatomy and physiology classes of the hearing mechanism and vocal mechanism. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with the anatomy, fell in love with just kind of the, the whole thing and how we process sound, how we perceive, you know, how um, language develops in people. And so from that early exposure, I kind of knew that ENT was something I would, you know, was kind of on I was interested in, but I wanted to keep a really open mind during um, during medical school. I was a person who took two years off, and I did. Clin- I was a clinical research coordinator at Northwestern um, in the rheumatology division, so I got some exposure to that too. That being said, I learned very early on that I was not interested in pursuing rheumatology at all. But it was a it was great exposure to kind of um, to to rheumatology in general and a little internal medicine. And so I wanted to keep an open mind during medical school. And I liked certain, you know, I I found something about every rotation that I really did like. Um, 
And the way kind of, I, I because of the pandemic and because of how everything uh, turned out, I didn't really, I didn't get to do my first rotation until kind of late in the game. I think it was like August or something. And so that was pretty late, but kind of after pretty much after I, it's ambitious to say like the first day, but pretty much after like the first week, I was like, yeah, no, for sure. For sure. For sure. I knew I wanted to do something surgical. I knew I liked clinic a lot. Um, and just ENT like really checked all of the boxes for me. I knew I was interested in the anatomy and physiology kind of from my undergrad, but I mean, to get to, I mean, finally getting to be on the rotation and seeing kind of the surgeries that they, that they do, mine was blown, did not know how, like what head and neck reconstruction was until that first week, did not even know that like facial plastics was like really a thing that ENT did, um, just kind of was blown away on the rotation. And then, you know, to get to see the impact that they have on patients' lives in terms of improving, you know, people's communication, I was like, totally sold. You know, you get to cure things with surgery, you get to take care of chronic patients. Um, it like had everything you could ever possibly want in medicine for me. So definitely for me, that was, uh, that was how I went into that specialty. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, unlike Emily, didn't find ENT until later in medical school. So, uh, I came into med school thinking I wanted to do something surgical, something procedural, but I uh, really didn't think about ENT at all until my third year. So my, my first rotation in my third year was general surgery. Um, and I did a month of general surgery at the VA. Um, so got to see a lot of different aspects of general surgery. And, uh, I worked a lot with one of the endocrine surgeons over at the VA, uh, who did a lot of thyroid and parathyroid surgery, um, and that was really my intro into like head and neck surgery. And I found myself drawn to those types of procedures so much more than like the typical gen surge procedures, the open bowel procedures. So um, I would say like at the beginning of my third year is really uh, when I was uh, thinking about ENT as something I'd be possibly interested in. So I decided to rotate as a third year. Uh, and then pretty similar to, to Emily, I mean, I really I kind of fell in love with the field like the first week, uh, first two weeks I was on. I think, you know, you'll hear a lot about people in ENT talk about the anatomy. Um, the anatomy is just so intricate, so complex and, and super fascinating. And I think it's kind of hard to explain to people until you're really in your first like neck dissection where you get to see the cranial nerves and the vasculature. And it, it's just a really cool experience. And then Another thing for me that that really solidified the fact that I wanted to do ENT was just the diversity of the field. And it's something I didn't really think about until um, I was rotating as a student in the department. Uh, so I think the procedures that they do, it's just so different. You know, you think about the typical bread and butter ENT procedures, like putting in ear tubes or, or tonsils or endoscopic sinus surgery, but uh, there's really so much more to it, especially within a lot of the subspecialties. So you could be, you know, drilling out a mastoid uh, to take out a brainstem tumor with neurosurgery. You could be plating facial, facial fractures uh, for trauma plate patients. Uh, and then, you know, of course, there's the complex head and neck reconstruction with free flaps that uh, is pretty amazing to see. So um, I think the diversity is something that you know, I really like, too, that, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can tailor your practice in the future to exactly what you want to do. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think the very first specialty I shadowed in medical school was uh, ENT. And I went to the OR, you know, as like an M1, just got my white coat, didn't realize I needed to change like out of the white coat to go in the OR. But I was shadowing one of the residents and uh, I mean, I think it was a parotid gland tumor, something, something like that. The, in the surgery, I will never forget the dude's face was pulled off. I mean, holy cow. Like I, I was like, oh my goodness, medicine is the coolest thing. Um, so I, I definitely can attest to all the, the cool surgeries that, you know, ENT, ENT does. Um, you know, that said though, are there any things that you guys dislike about the field or, um, you know, I know you guys just matched and congratulations. Uh, I want to say that uh, first thing, but, you know, maybe people who rotate on ENT and decide it's not for them. What do you, what do they say that, you know, are kind of the uh, drawbacks to ENT? Yeah, one thing that, that I think of, uh, you know, I, I think people who, who like ENT really like the anatomy, but I think the anatomy can also be a little bit overwhelming uh, when you're initially getting introduced to the field. It can be especially challenging as a student. You don't learn a lot of this anatomy in medical school, so it's really learning during your clinical rotations. I remember my, one of my first surgeries I was in as a third year was 
uh, with one of the neurotologists at Loyola and he was doing a, a trans labyrinth approach to an acoustic neuroma. And I remember he was like trying to talk me through the anatomy of <laughs> going through the mastoid and all the uh, anatomy around the lateral skull base. And it was just so complex. And <laughs> I remember it took a while to kind of get used to all that. So um, I, I think it can be a little bit tricky. I don't know if I dislike that about the field. I, I really like it, but I think it's a challenge. Um, and then something else, I think not necessarily the field itself, but once you're, you're trying to like get into a residency position, I think the competitiveness is something that, you know, is, is stressful as you're applying for, for residency. And maybe that speaks to how great the field is, but uh, it's definitely you know a challenge as you're trying to get to that residency position. Yeah, I'll totally agree. Hate how competitive it was. <laughs> like it is um, very uh, anxiety provoking. Um, I think I don't dislike anything about the field. Uh, obviously we're very biased. Um, think it's the best by far. Um, but that being said, I think definitely we'll, you know, copy Colton and say, you know, definitely I think anatomy can be super off-putting. I think also people really don't like like trachs or like, you know, if you're not like an like a, a mouth, like the, you know, I feel like people are like, oh, I can't do like poop or I can't do like, a lot of like secretions or pus or like some people are like, I cannot do like the mouth. I can't do it. Um, obviously I think that's pretty off putting for people, you know, personally, I'm not like emphatic about trachs myself, but you know, I think, I think, yeah, I think that can be really off putting. I think there are like very specific things or like noses, nosebleeds, you know, snot, people don't like that. I feel like people are very particular in medical school and they like when they figure out exactly which bodily secretion is like their limit. They're like, no, thank you. If I can avoid it, I will, I will avoid it. So I think that's kind of um, what I've heard. People are like, can't do it. Won't do it. No. So, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of figuring that out when you can and going from there. (laughs) I think for me, it's the eyes. I just, I don't want to touch my eyes. I don't want to touch other people's eyes. But I feel the same way. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> maybe context will change some. We'll see. Okay. So the next question that we have for you guys would be, what are some of the stereotypes or assumptions about your specialty? And if you think there's any truth to any of them? Mm, um, for, I don't know about stereotypes. Whenever I like told people that I was interested in ENT, people would always be like, oh man, they're like, the nicest surgical subspecialty. Um, So that's not a negative stereotype by any means. Um, So I think, um, you know, a lot of advice that I received, I feel like was trying to find your people as another kind of way to approach what specialty you want to go into. Um, And I don't think that that's like bad advice at all. I think that's great advice. Um, Kind of see the personality types, which which specialties attract those things. I don't really think ENTS bad stereotypes uh in terms of uh so I think the fairly more like laid back people uh, of the surgical subspecialties I think it's got uh everyone's very nice very collegial is what I've heard you know I think because it's you know a surgical subspecialty and because ENT one of the awesome benefits is like you can really kind of cater your practice once you you can decide how much clinic you want and you can decide how much surgery you want to do um and I think people can find that very appealing in terms of you know how they want you know their time after residency to look and whether you're going into private versus like an academic field and kind of catering I mean honestly I haven't done as much research into like the after the the pay or whatever that wasn't something that was really driving my decision but I think you know it being a surgical subspecialty I'm, I'm sure that could be what has been driving the competitive um nature I think of the specialty but I don't know what's your what's your take home yeah you know I, I think you're right I, I the stereotypes that I think of are like mainly positive um I definitely think like people talk about the people in ENT being like a little more laid back and friendly. Um, and I mean, that's been true in my experience, but I'm sure that's like very <laughs> dependent on like where you are and, you know, the particular department. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing I think some people think of ENT as like a, a more like chill surgical subspecialty uh, in terms of like hours or kind of workload. Um, and maybe that's true in residency, you know, like or maybe that's true in when you get to be an attending. Uh, like Emily said, you can kind of tailor your practice to how much clinic you want, how much OR time you want. Um, but I think in residency, you know, it's going to be pretty busy <laughs> no matter where you are. So I, 
in terms of like easier hours wise, I don't know if that stereotype holds true for residency. I think it's going to be, you know, it's a busy surgical field no matter where you are. But uh, definitely, you know, as an attending, you probably have a little bit more flexibility in terms of hours based on kind of your clinic and OR workload. For sure. Yeah, I think those were some of the things I've definitely heard of ENT, um, kind of like the, the nature of the easygoing nature of the specialty. But I think sometimes that can seep in to, oh, that means residency is going to be super easy. While I just learned on my sickie rotation that, you know, ENT takes, you know, that facial trauma call on top with like neurosurgery on top of, I, don't, I think ortho maybe is like somewhere in there is in the mix as well. But, uh, you know, every, every there's always going to be like head bleeds or, you know, facial trauma or something wherever you go. So uh, I'm, I'm sure call is definitely a big factor uh, when you're looking at programs and, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but, you know, going through medical school though, and you kind of talked a little bit about some of your, some of your interests and some of your exposure, but uh, did you guys ever have, were you ever kind of at a crossroads between two specialties um, either like early on or kind of like right in that like third year when you really have to commit to um, kind of what you want to do, were you deciding between two and what tipped you over the edge? To, to ENT? Um, good question. For me, I, I think I was kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those gut people. Like I, I'm not like a big list person when I'm deciding I don't, you know, make an Excel spreadsheet kind of person. I'm kind of a gut person. Um, I will say I, because I had late exposure, I felt like I really couldn't commit to ENT until I had done that, my rotation. I thought that would be insane otherwise. So I was, I guess if you, so I was between general surgery and ENT. I didn't love my first month uh, on Surgeonc. I just didn't find it as interesting. My second month was, I was on thoracic for my rotation. I enjoyed that a lot more. I think it's also really hard in terms of surgical subspecialties and, you know, where you get placed um, and what residents you have. I think residents super shape and attendings super definitely shape your experience during that time. So I, I was between general surgery and ENT. I think in like, I think I was pretty like already set on ENT. I was just waiting for that rotation to make sure I didn't like detest it for whatever reason. So once I really after that first week, I was like, yep, we're, this is it. Yep. This is yes, please. Um, so yeah, for me, I wasn't really super, um, super torn in any way. Yeah. For, for me, I, I think I definitely was interested in ENT after my general rotation on my general surgery rotation at the beginning of my third year, but the rotation that I did after that was a radiology rotation. So I was actually between interventional radiology and ENT. So, you know, I, I, I really like imaging uh, and I like the procedural that the interventional radiologists do. Um, but after spending some time in IR, I think there just wasn't enough patient interaction. Uh, and I, I think I didn't like general radiology enough to go that route. Um, you know, even as an interventional radiologist, you're sp still spending a lot of time in the reading room, kind of doing uh, general rads. Uh, so I, I think ENT, you know, I, I got to use, you know, you still get to use a lot of the cool neuroimaging and head and neck imaging, um, but you also get to spend more time with patients, which was important to me. And, you know, I, I like the clinic in ENT. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you're doing more procedural procedures uh, than you would in IR. So I think that's kind of what, what tipped it over for me. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the match process and what it was like for you guys to go through that journey. <laughs> Could you start by kind of going through what you did to make yourself a competitive applicant for matching into ENT? Yeah, so I think some uh, kind of, you know, general stuff that's true of any field, um, you know, research experience and volunteer experience can, can help kind of set you apart. Um, I did a little more research. Uh, and I think something with research, you know, people think you have to have like just ENT research, but, you know, finding ENT later in medical school, I didn't have a ton of ENT research by the time I applied. So uh, I, I think if you have a lot of research on your resume, that's not ENT, that's totally fine. I think I talked more about my non-ENT related research in my interviews than I did about my ENT project, just because they were further along. I, you know, I think that's something to consider that can make your application stronger, especially if you're looking to be at uh, kind of a more research intensive place. And then, you know, step score and, and clinical grades are also important. Uh, it's unfortunate, but <laughs> I think it's the first thing that a lot of programs look at. Uh, and some programs might even use it to screen. So, you know, if you're like a first and second year, you know, that could be something to really focus on, you know, your step exams and then the clinical grades as you get to your third year, because um, those would be pretty important too. 
Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I definitely mirror Colton in saying, you know, research, especially for ENT surgical subspecialties, I think it's just something that they look for. You know, I knew I was interested in ENT, so I was able to get a little, like, some ENT projects kind of going before the match process. I think that was helpful. But I will say, like, I was... I, I did get asked, you know, kind of 50-50 in terms of, you know, uh, non-ENT and my ENT research um, and being able to, you know, confidently talk about that during the interviews, um, I think really helps set you apart. I think, uh, I think for ENT specifically, I think another thing that really helps set you apart is your personal statement. And I, and I feel like programs did a really good job of, of recognizing applicants who are really passionate about ENT and like really showing their enthusiasm in their personal statement. And I think that actually helped me more um, than, you know, a lot of other things. I definitely sit like board scores and grades will always be important. I wasn't as happy with my step one score, but my step two score was stronger. And I think that helped me a lot. I was never really asked about my step one score. So, you know, if you're a person who is struggling with like step one and, or maybe you're not as satisfied with your step one score, but you're able to really show significant improvement on your step two, I think that was really important. And I was never asked about my step one score um, on the interview trail and definitely your extracurriculars and your experience. I was asked a lot about my work experiences. Um, I like worked at Costco during, <laughs> during college. I got a few people were really excited to talk about Costco. Like people will find things on your application that they connect with. So don't like no experiences is insignificant, like included. It's what makes you unique. It, it differentiates you and people like love to pick out things that they find interesting on your application to talk about. So just include them. And I think going back to research, like if you have different, like a different, um, you know, if it's not just ENT, but you know, you were, uh, you've gotten to present that research from a different department and you've gotten to show like kind of leadership skills in that way. Um, that's also like a really valuable thing. So if, if, even if it's not ENT, it's, I think it's still valuable from that, that standpoint as well. Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to emphasize like personal statement too. I think that was something I didn't think about as much until like the end of my third year, beginning of fourth year. Uh, and I struggled a little bit coming up with like a unique personal statement. And it took like a couple months of like iterations and a lot of people reading it. But uh, no, I definitely, you know, think coming up with a personal statement that really shows kind of your unique qualities or different aspects about, you know, what got you to where you are um, can really like make you shine. You know, the program director is going to read through 400, 500 applications. And a lot of people are going to have, you know, research and good board scores and good grades and stuff like that. So having a unique personal statement uh, that kind of jumps out a little bit is, is going to be super helpful. You know, that's actually really good to hear. Because um, I think that's like the first time that I heard like the personal statement, at, you, you feel like made an impact. And just kind of like looking back on the process, I feel like, um, you know, you can be definitely jaded by the fact that, oh, you know, it's all about just like numbers or just screening me based on like numbers and how many pubs I have and, you know, all of this. But um, uh, uh, it's good that they, they raise some of the questions or they, they, it seems like they, you know, the interviewers for you guys really looked through your application as a whole. And hopefully they, they do that for all specialties as well. But, um, you know, just glad to see that even in the uber competitive specialties, they, um, you know, they still take the time to, to really kind of dive deep into who you are as a person. I feel like that's where the personal statement and maybe even the letters of recommendation come in as well. Um, so, and, you know, kind of transitioning a little bit, uh, I think I think any anyone can admit that like sub eyes, like your ENT rotation was probably important as well, just to make, make those connections and kind of show your stuff as a third year student, maybe interested in a fourth year student going into the specialty. Um, so what did you guys do to stand out on those ENT rotations? Yeah, I, I think something that you want to do for all rotations, but it's especially important as a sub I is you really want to be prepared and like really read for the cases that you're going into, uh, especially, you know, if it's the first, you know, ear case you see, and or the first endoscopic sinus surgery, you know, a lot of that stuff is really new. So just watching a, a video online uh, can be super helpful to get your bearings a little bit and feel like you have sense, some sense of what's going on. Um, and, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's not a lot of ENT anatomy covered in medical school. So uh, I, I think like being busy reading on your sub-I is like one of the most important things you can do. Um, 
And then another thing that I think I wasn't great at during my third year of med school, but I got better at as a fourth year is really like asking to do more. Um, I think it can be hard, like when a case is ending to ask to help close or to help stitch. But, uh, you know, a lot of times like residents and attendings, they, they want to teach you, but they just don't think about it. Um, and so like more times than not, you know, just asking like, hey, do you mind if I help close here? Or, you know, do you mind if I help with this? People were really receptive towards that. Um, so you want to be eager to help, but not so eager <laughs> to be as kind of annoying. So I think that's, you know, a, a line you kind of learn to, to walk as a medical student, but, you know, being eager and like asking to help and asking to do certain things, I think uh, definitely like bodes well for you and shows that you're interested. Definitely agree. 100%. Um, I think, so Loyola's program um, is a little different because I actually did ENT, the ENT rotation for my sub-I, but with Loyola, they don't actually have you like be involved in patient care from the, the standpoint of like, you're not making a list, you're not, you know, putting in orders, let's say like you would do maybe on a normal sub-I, they really want you to focus on like getting to be there for the whole case, you know, getting to be involved in closing. And they're really good at including you in the OR and they really want you to enjoy your time in the OR and kind of focus on the surgeries and get and get to know the specialty in that way versus, you know, the patient care aspect of maybe a sub-I. That being said, sometimes it can be kind of harder to shine because you're, the residents aren't relying on you for anything or you can't kind of help, you're like not really helping in that way. Kind of just to add on to Colton, really the only additional thing I would say um, adding on to reading specifically is trying to ask questions that to really show that you're engaged. And it's like, not the question of like, Oh, what's that? It's like, it's, it's kind of like a second order question of like, you understand what we're doing and uh, like that you've read about the case. You understand why that patient is receiving that surgery. And maybe the night before on top of reading, you know, the indications for the surgery, the contraindications for the surgery, um, what landmarks we're maybe looking to like not, injure like the facial nerve constantly in, in, um, ear surgery, you're, you maybe, you know, Google it, Google that surgery or, or put it in on PubMed or Google scholar or whatever. And maybe you're seeing debate on one, one, uh, way to do the surgery versus another, or, you know, certain materials versus another or something, something like that. Maybe something that brings in an element that like, I went a little bit further and I'm really interested in this surgery. And I kind of want to understand, like, if I was thinking about it from a resident perspective, and if I was in charge of this patient's care, like, what would I want to know from this um, attending? And, and I'm definitely not saying like every time and I'm not like, you know, I think it just like kind of shows a level of engagement. Like, I'm really excited to be here. I really want to see like this. I, you know, I don't want to just ask, you know, rapid fire questions like Colton, you want to keep it balanced. You want to keep it easy breezy. You're not trying to like annoy the crap out of anyone. But you want to show that, like, I read about this. I'm super engaged. I'm really interested. Like, you know, what can you tell me, like, more about this? Um, and I think that really, um, I think that's really all the attendings want to see is that you're engaged. That's all the residents I think care about is that you're engaged and that you're interested and that you're, like, ready to go. So it's like getting that or getting to that point where you're thinking about not just, like, what is that, but what are you maybe thinking about in terms of why we're approaching it this way and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And like, maybe that doesn't, you know, maybe that doesn't happen on like the first day that you're on a service, but maybe that happens towards the end, or maybe you're on a service where you're seeing a lot of the same kind of case. And maybe you can ask like, oh, what's different? Like, what am I noticing that's different about this case? Or what am I noticing that's like, um, you know, why, or if you're with on the same service with two different attendings, why is one person doing it this way? And why is the other one doing it this way? What, what makes this approach unique? Like, why are we doing this versus this? You can always like look up a surgery and see like, are there multiple different approaches? What are the benefits? What are the setbacks of each kind of that kind of thing? It's like a, a next level. And I, I do think that that like helps you like be more engaged and stand out in that way. And that you're kind of thinking about the next step. I think that helps. And you also learn more by asking yeah, for sure. Or you're going to learn a ton asking like the experts in the field about, you know, certain deeper level questions. So once you both made the decision that you wanted to go into ENT, how did you go about kind of researching and figuring out which programs that you wanted to apply to and go through the process with? Yeah. So, you know, when I was thinking about programs, I got a good piece of advice from one of my mentors at Loyola and 
Now he talked about three things that are important when choosing a residency. So he, he talked about program reputation being one. So if a program is like super heavy in research or there are certain areas of strength at that pro that that program has that you're really interested in, you know, that's certainly something to consider. Um, geography is something else that, you know, I think is important. So, you know, where do you want to live? Where does your significant other want to live? I mean, five years is a long time. So <laughs> you don't want to be somewhere that, I don't know, maybe you don't have as much social support uh, or family support if that's something that's really important to you. Um, and then the third thing, uh, which I think was a little bit harder this year uh, with virtual uh, interviews is the people or the culture there. Um, and, and, you know, what group do you get along with well? Uh, you know, what sort of culture do you feel like you fit in with well? Um, so, I, you know, I think that's important too. You know, you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people over the next few years. So you want a group that you feel like you get along with well. So uh, I don't know, definitely something that was a little more challenging, I think this year with the virtual interviews, but, um, you know, I think it's still something that you want to consider. Super great. Yes, 100%. Um, uh, in terms of like choosing, you know, that initial step when you're on your ERAS and just like choosing programs, um, honestly, I really went by geographic location. And then I kind of, you know, the programs that I was like, especially maybe in the locations that you are really interested in, you know, starting to um, specifically look into the websites of, of the programs in that area that you think you're really interested in. And kind of like Colton said, like, you know, look into what kind of like research opportunities you have, if that's what you're interested in, or, you know, unique features of the programs, if you're interested in global health, or, you know, you're interested, if you, you know, you're maybe interested in sleep and like sleep surgeries and things like that for ENT. Um, and not necessarily every program has, you know, a great, um, like a significant amount of faculty that are devoted to, you know, things like that, like making sure that the program has like your basic, basic things that you're interested in for sure. But I mean, with ENT, it was, I was just told it was so competitive and then it was, um, you know, you, it's kind of like a numbers game at that initial stage that it's really, you know, I, I kind of, that initial, like, where do I want to apply just felt so broad and wide that I, I kind of just eliminated things based off of where it was not willing to live and, and kind of went from there and then kind of followed Colton's steps as he outlines so beautifully. For sure. Yeah. Initially, I feel like you're going to just apply broadly, you know, like yeah. it's hard to, I mean, it's a competitive specialty. I think the average number of applications is like around 70 or 80. So, you know, if you just want to be in Chicago and like that location is super important to you, it's like probably gonna have to apply a little more broadly than that. Um, so, you know, I think initially you're going to want to apply to you know a good amount of programs so you get enough interviews where you feel more comfortable about matching but then once you interview at those programs and you can really kind of look into those other factors that you know are going to impact your rank list so yeah and then like this year ENT did uh signaling which I don't know I I think they're doing it again honestly but that how the, the signals was I Alec and Catherine I don't know if you heard about this but it was like you each um applicant was given five signals to um like signal to a program, you know, that they were especially interested in this program. I mean, you were given five and it wasn't like ranked, like I'm, you're my number one to five. It was just like, you had five signals and I, and it was used, especially this year to see which applicants were especially interested in programs because they know that applicants are applying broadly. So, um, and, and I think that there's like a whole different, when you're applying those signals, there's like a whole different strategy on how to approach that too. But just so you guys know, and like that was, that was another fun added element, I think, uh, to the application cycle this year. Yeah, actually, I would really like to just get your opinion on the signaling, because I feel like that was something that was pretty novel. And I think that's been it's been called for in other specialties or um, it's been there's kind of been like grumblings of it wanting to develop, I guess, and, you know, the actual ERAS process, like throughout like all specialty applications. Um, so it was really cool. I think there were just a lot of eyes on ENT this year to see like how it would turn out. And it was kind of exciting. Uh, I was talking to both of you about this kind of before everything happened, but hearing kind of the so you get five, essentially, it's like the bachelor, right? You get five roses, and then, you know, you pick it out to, you know, whoever, um, you know, whoever is most special to you, you know, I guess what, so if someone were to say, hey, I'm interested in ENT, we're doing the signaling, you get five choices, what was your guys' strategy, um, like reach programs, like how many do you apply to, 
Um, did you do it for your home program? Uh, you know, I, I guess kind of, I'm just curious what you guys both did and how you approached it. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I love the uh, uh, Bachelor. Uh, I was going to say the same That's thing. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Such a cool pop reference. You just slipped in there. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so the idea of the signals this year, I think without away rotations, it was really a way for programs to see who's really interested. You know, again, these programs are getting like 400 to 500 applications and you know they're going to interview 40 to 60 people and then three will match there. So it's like a, a way to help sift through the number of applications they receive to help choose who they interview. So you know, I, th I think it's pros and cons, um, but I, I liked it. I think it maybe helped me get one or two interviews that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. So I think it could help you get like a reach program potentially, or it could get you an interview at a program, say, that's at a geographic area that you have no ties to. So uh, in that sense, I think they can be really helpful at getting you those interview invites. Um, but maybe on like the more negative side, I think some of the, it, it's hard to know exactly, but I think some of the top tier programs, you know, there's uh, a worry that maybe if you don't send them a signal, then it'd be harder to get an interview there because they receive so many signals that, you know, if they don't have one for you, that could hurt you uh, because they have a, a large pool of signalers. So uh, it, it's an interesting way uh, they approached it this year, but I, I thought overall it was pretty good and, and I liked it. Um, another thing too, Alec, it, it's nice that the website that you would actually send the signals, it, like there was a hard block that prevented you from applying to your home program. Because uh, that was like a big confusion when this whole thing started. It's like, you know, like, do I send them to my home program? Because like they know you're interested because you're rotated there. So uh, when you're actually filling out the form, you put your institution uh, that you either. So if you don't have a home medical school, the medical school that you did do your rotation at or your home medical school, you put that in and then you're not allowed by the system to send a signal there. So, you know, I wasn't allowed to send Emily and I weren't allowed to send signals to Loyola. Um, so. That's good that you didn't have to jump through that hoop. I feel like that'd be kind of awkward because at one time you'd be like, well, of course, like I would send it, you know, but that's just almost like a, like, it's like, they know, they know you, right. They know you. And like, it's kind of almost a waste of a signal at that point. Um, right. So. But it's hard because you don't know like their expectations and I think right. it's new. Right. It's new. And the other thing with this too, is you didn't know. So the idea behind the signals is that it's going to help you get an interview at a location that you maybe would have done in a way at. Um, mm. But I think what a lot of people don't know is how this impacted ranking of programs, uh, even though that, I don't think that's what it was designed for. It's still, you know, if somebody signaled and they were equally as good of an applicant as somebody else, like they maybe were ranked higher. But um, I don't know. It was interesting. But overall, I, I thought it was positive. I don't know. Emily, what did you think? Uh, um, I liked the signaling. Like literally the only thing I didn't like about it was how sketchy the website was. Cause I was like, this isn't real. This isn't going to work. Um, but other than that, that's it really my, I was like, mm, okay, <laughs> I don't think this is right, but we're going to try it. Um, yeah, I was like real panicking, um, that, that evening or that morning. I don't remember. Anyway, I blocked it out anyway. So I think it was a very good experience for me. Um, I think I was in a position where for me uh, and uh, like as me as me as an applicant, I'll say it that way, the signals were a great opportunity for me to really show programs where I was interested in. Um, I think it certainly helped me get um, interviews that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten. Um, and I certainly tried to tailor it to programs that um, you know, I talking to the program director at Loyola, he was really helpful in helping figure out the, the best use and the best way to strategize for, for the signals and, you know, maybe targeting to maybe like one reach program and the, the rest kind of thinking about programs that I thought would be a good fit for me, but otherwise, and like, weren't necessarily, there was like the whole mentality of like, well, if you waste it on reach, like everyone's using it on a reach. So like, is it as valuable versus if you target it towards programs who might not be receiving as many signals, like it will go farther and you might, you know, have a higher probability of receiving an interview from that location. So it was like this fun, cute little mind game that the signals provided for this year. Um, but I think it worked in my favor. I kind of went the route of like, here are the programs I'm really interested in. Here's, you know, the programs that I think maybe um, also wouldn't necessarily be like, they're not like the, the top tier, the most popular or in like, you know, crazy popular locations and try to like gear it towards them. And I think it really worked out in my favor.
Yeah, that would be actually a really good podcast to talk to your PD um, about how, like, when he received the signals, what he, like, what he thought of it, or, you know, like, what it did for, I, I don't, I'm not even sure if they can reveal that, they probably would Would can. Thorpe, amp- I don't think Thorpe would ever, first of all, I can't even imagine Thorpe on a podcast, but I would, I would so listen to it, 100%, <laughs> would love every second of it, would eat that content up, one, two, um, I don't think he'd answer. Like, I do not think in a million years he would like disclose that. But I don't know. What do you think, Colton, as your future PD? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it'd be really interesting to get his take about the signals, but yeah, uh, I, I don't. I don't know if he would want to try it, Alec. Like, how, how they use them or how they, you know, ranked applicants off of them. Like how many interviews they got based on the signals. Because um, I think if you reveal like how many signals you received, maybe that would somehow like imply like how desired your program is you know what I mean so I don't know there's a lot of layers to the signals Alec <laughs> this sure. is amazing this is an opportunity like hard-hitting journalism like get in there like figure <laughs> I, it out I, man. Hey, I'm, I'm gone, I want baby. you to find I'm, no I'm sending Catherine Alec no journaling like she no. is gonna go deep on this <laughs> I want you guys to figure this out for us. That'd be <laughs> uh, no, that would be fascinating for sure. Um, you know, kind of taking the process though, uh, coming back a little bit as a whole, what was the most important piece? If, if, you, if someone were to say, I want to go into ENT, what is the most important piece of advice you give uh, for them to match into ENT? I, I think one piece of advice that I got that I, I found really helpful was finding mentors throughout the way. Um, so I, I think I would have been so lost as like a third year without the fourth year is kind of helping me with, you know, away rotations or, or talking about sub eyes or as a fourth year talking with like the, the interns and the residents at Loyola. So I don't know, one of the, I guess, best piece of advice is I think I can give is like, don't be afraid to reach out to, to mentors and, and ask advice. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that is just going to help you out a lot and <laughs> relieve a lot of stress for you. Absolutely um, agree with that. Definitely try and find people who you trust their advice that you can turn to when you're feeling super anxious um, and who will, you know, give you great advice and like kind of help guide you for sure. Um, ENT is a very competitive specialty, but um, I would say that if you're really excited about it and you, um, you know, it's, it's it for you. Um, and you can, you know, you can show that passion and you can, you know, write about it and express it. Um, you know, I, I think it's something you need to go for. Um, I was very intimidated by how competitive it was. I was really worried that I wasn't going to be competitive enough. Uh, it was definitely something that kept me up at night. I was told by our Dean that, you know, to do it, he, he never said to not do it. And he did say that, you know, he felt that I would be, I would regret not, you know, fully committing to ENT and he was hundred percent right. And I, I 100% agree with him. Um, but he did tell me that it was going to be very stressful and, you know, that they don't, you know, it's ENT is not a guarantee and it's not a guarantee that you're going to match. So it needs to be something that's worth it for you. And I think that if you make that decision that you're like all in and it's something you really want, I think it's, I think go for it. Because I, I think it's just the best specialty, um, and I just don't think you'll regret it. So that would be my advice. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and I think people are afraid of the competitive competitiveness for sure. But it's also an awesome field. And another piece of advice that Emily and I got uh, from uh, our program director when we we're having a meeting with the the third years is to have like a backup plan because there is that potential. Even if you are a good applicant with a lot of interviews, there's just a chance with you know, the sheer numbers of the people applying that, that you won't match. So I think that was a good piece of advice for me is having like a written backup plan of like what would happen if I didn't match during soap week. And, uh, you know, maybe even having that, having that plan a little bit earlier uh, where you can talk to your, you know, program director mentors to say like, Hey, you know, should I dual apply? Is that something that you would consider if there's another field that you like equally as well? But um, yeah, I definitely would say go for it, but, you know, think about a backup planner or something you know, that you could be happy in if, if you didn't match um, or like your path to reapplying just because there's always that possibility. <laughs> For sure. And a hundred percent, but the rush of matching into ENT is unlike any other. So <laughs> highly recommend. That's super interesting, <laughs> interesting too, because didn't, I, I watched a little bit of your guys's match because like as a first year, you're always like, oh my God, like there'll be one day where we do that and it's super exciting. 
but our is wasn't our dean our dean is in ENT right and he was talking about like how his match day he like was sad because of the whole process and everything was it interesting to be in his similar shoes but then hearing him say that story right before you're opening up your own virtual envelope for it or yeah luckily luckily at that point on friday we already knew if we've matched or not so so monday we got the email that said we've matched so i feel like that was the nervous day for me where i could relax a little bit knowing that <laughs> at least i've matched somewhere but um, yeah, you know, Dr. Marzo uh, is pretty open with the fact that, yeah, he didn't match ENT the first time that he applied. Um, and he ended up doing a year of general surgery and reapplied ENT, uh, got accepted, and then did a neurotology fellowship, which is one of the most competitive fellowships that you can do <laughs> within ENT. And now he's the dean of a medical school. So you know, even if you don't match, there's definitely a path to success, whether it's still within ENT or something else uh, that you can follow. Unfortunately, we don't um, put the podcast on YouTube yet, but if you could, I have a, a match day picture of everybody and Emily's reaction to when she matched at Colorado was so funny. <laughs> Wait, my, my Zoom was still on. I thought I turned it off. Oh, you have a screenshot of that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it was, that was Oh, epic. that's that super epic. embarrassing. Oh, oh, no. Sorry. I can delete it if you want, but I no, kind of don't, don't want, want to. to. Keep it <laughs> forever. On the internet forever. Sorry. Keep it forever. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Um, well, and they were uh, droning on and on. And I was like, wait, guys, it's out. It's out. And like everyone melted. Like everyone was losing it. It was hysterical. <laughs> So I guess kind of the last the last question we, we want to ask you guys is, um, you know, do you have any general advice for like pre-medical students or current medical students as they move through their training? So this is more just like general advice, um, kind of anything that you picked up on medical school, any any um, like tips you would give them either on rotations, step one or step two, studying board prep, you know, how best to network, uh, you know, stories of challenges that you had to overcome, anything like that, that you would like to just give those those types of listeners, um, you know, just your your opinions and suggestions. For general advice for pre med, um, you know, I did not like my pre med courses. That being said, for people who think that they're interested in medicine, um, those pre med courses are not what you experience, and it gets so much better. So if you have it in you to make it through those courses, highly recommend. Uh, because medicine is so much better than general chemistry or organic chemistry. I'll say that too. I have never been the strongest test taker. And I felt like that was going to be the thing that held me back from college, from medical school and from residency. And I will say that I have gotten better, but like not that much better, but it's, it was something that I felt like I would always have to overcome. And it's something that I've always had to work through. And I certainly picked a profession that's going to be permanent standardized testing. So, you know, love that for me personally, but it's something that you can get through and it's something that you will improve on. And if you know, you're passionate about medicine and you have a vision, don't give up on it um, because you will find a way to make it work and to get there. That being said, tips for after, you know, I took two years off before medical school. I didn't decide that I wanted to commit to the idea of medical school until after my um, global health experience, which was after the summer of my junior year of college. I had already done all my pre-med courses, but I hadn't like fully committed myself to the idea of medicine. I got a job as a clinical coordinator. Cannot recommend that enough. It was a great job. It got you, I, I got to experience a clinical setting. I got to have tons of research experience, writing experience, presenting experience. Um, I think it's the perfect thing for if you need to take a few years off to boost your resume, um, get some research on, um, make connections. It's awesome, highly recommend. And I think that those two years also made me so much more, I think made me a better candidate and like also just a better better medical student. It gave me that time. I feel like I matured. I feel like I, you know, figured out really what I wanted. So those, that was kind of my journey. And that's, those are kind of the, the tidbits that I will say, kind of looking on a global scale that I've kind of come away at this time now that I soon be a resident. Oh my God. <laughs> so soon. 
Yeah, no, I, I think Emily covered a, a bunch of awesome points there. I guess one thing I, I would add, um, and she talked about this a little bit, kind of, you know, her experience uh, between undergrad and medical school is, uh, you know, seeking out new opportunities and really exploring as much as you can. I, when I think about like my first and second year of med school, I think the one thing I would do differently is just try to explore like uh, a little bit more of the specialties in different areas of the hospital. I think it can be easy, uh, you know, because you guys are busy in like your first and second year courses, you know, you're like studying for steps, studying for your classes. So it can be hard to kind of pull yourself away from that and uh, go to the hospital or shadow. But I really think it's something that's so beneficial. You know, I think having maybe if I would have explored ENT a little bit earlier, then, you know, I could have uh, gotten to, I could have been able to get on some research projects or something like that. So um, I think, you know, exploring during your first and second year is something that's just going to help you make the choice of what specialty is right for you. And uh, I know it's really hard when you're in that position, but I think it's just going to benefit you, benefit you in the long run because third year, it's so challenging when you're in the hospital, you know, it's really hard to get away to shadow or, you know, explore a different field that maybe you're not rotating through during one of your core clerkships. So I guess that's one piece of advice I would have. So our last like main question for you guys is what is the best way to reach you if people have further questions about ENT and that kind of thing? Yeah, people, people could email me. Uh, my email is coltonpwolf at gmail.com. Alec, I don't know if you guys put this like as part of the podcast. Um, so yeah, people can email me or also all the students at Stritch, I'll, I'll be around next year as an intern. So you can always, you know, ask me any questions if you guys are rotating through ENT as a, a third or fourth year. I'm, you know, always around to you know, answer questions and, you know, that the residents are so important for me as a student applying. So, you know, I would be happy to answer any questions that you guys had and help you along. Uh, for me also, uh, just my email, emilybacklow at gmail.com. No dots or anything, just emilybacklow. I want to definitely say anybody with any questions about any, like, I am happy to answer any questions from anyone at any time. Seriously, just flood my, flood my Gmail, man. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people help me like along the way and it was super valuable and feeling like you don't have anybody to turn to or ask questions to or ask for guidance is like the worst feeling especially going through ENT and especially you know if you're during step one and during those darkest times if you already know you want to do something super competitive and like step one's like bearing you down like happy um to talk to anyone um and just give advice or just general support so yeah that's why ENT is the best we just want to help yeah. you Oh, we're so helpful. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys. Um, I think I can speak for Catherine as well. This is super informative and appreciate the candidness and the honesty and really just the, uh, I can feel the excitement from both of you guys and just want to say congratulations for matching, you know, again, uh, to Loyola in Colorado. That's, uh, that's awesome. And I uh, can't wait to see what you guys do moving forward. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.